Hey, welcome uh, to The Revealing. This is Pastor Frank at One Baptist Church here in Jacksonville. Uh, we hope uh, everybody is uh, staying safe and uh, enjoying their time with family at home. Uh, we know we're living through a, a, a pretty rough time, but uh, hopefully we can take this time and just uh, be able to uh, just uh, reflect on some things and, and be able to uh, remember uh, that uh, time of family is important. And uh, although, uh, you know, we're not able to get out and about, uh, being able to stay home and uh, be able to hang out uh, with our friends and family uh, is, a, is an awesome time as well. Uh, obviously, with everything that's going on, uh, we have uh, halted our recordings of the revealing uh, and, uh, uh, you know, for the obvious reasons of staying safe. Uh, so what we thought we would do uh, for uh, the uh, uh, upcoming weeks is uh, maybe give you some uh, uh, some excerpts of some of our preaching that we do here at One Baptist Church in Jacksonville. Uh, what we're going to do instead of uh, uh, bringing you uh, the revealing crew, uh, we're going to take some weeks off here uh, for uh, the foreseeable future and uh, just uh, play some recordings that we've done uh, at our church uh, in One Baptist Jacks. Uh, so hopefully you'll enjoy those things. Uh, again, uh, stay safe, and uh, the Revealing crew will be coming back at you live here soon. Uh, so we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name. All right, so uh, good evening, everyone. Um, we are in session five of, of our study tonight, and um, I, I just wanted to carve out a few few minutes at the beginning uh, and, and really um, kind of not, not backtrack, but just take a few of the, the highlights, some of the, the main points, some of the main scripture passages uh, that, that we've hit on over the, the last month uh, in the, the beginning stages of the study and just kind of uh, put them in front of you again, uh, just so we kind of keep our bearings and remember why we're doing uh, what we're doing. As you can see tonight, uh, we're going to be talking um, about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And um, that is not just some off-the-wall topic uh, because I didn't get my normal message prepared in time. Uh, this is a very critical uh, component of our study in church history. And so um, we're going to get there. I, I do promise that. But I just kind of want to go over a few things um, in regard, and, and I hope you have your notes for those that utilize those. Um, if you don't utilize them, then you're okay because you don't need them. But uh, for those that do, uh, th those were uh, texted out. And, and I often like to remind our people just before we get started, if you are not uh, on the um, text blast system uh, the, that I utilize called Remind, uh, it'll say One Baptist Church and then have a message that I usually type out there. I am sending them out that way, the notes. Um, but thankfully, uh, we won't. I'll still do that um, for those who are not going to be joining us uh, at least immediately when we start gathering again. Uh, for those that are going to wait a little bit, uh, but I'll, I'll be glad when uh, uh, we are able to utilize uh, Brother Ray's uh, services uh, and, and uh, his, his service in um, printing those materials for us, and I can give you those hard copies, and you don't have to use your own uh, ink and, and printer and whatnot there. Um, but as I was saying, uh, let's let's just grab a few of these things here to kind of set us on course um, and then we're going to go ahead and get into it. So what, what God has taught us thus far in our study. So like I said, over the last four weeks or so, uh, we, we, we um, went to Ecclesiastes chapter three and verse 15. And, and we, we saw uh, that 
God, God tells us that which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requireth that which is past. And what God is telling us is that history repeats itself. Okay, if we're gonna if we're gonna study church history, we have to know from the beginning that that there is nothing new under the sun, right? History repeats itself. Furthermore, we we really uh beat this drum. Um, if you want to know um, what's going on now, uh, you have to know what's gone on in the past. And if you want to know where you're going, you have to know where you come from, right? It's like a movie. If you just catch the end of a movie, uh, where, where typically uh, there, there's all this conflict and the climax of the movie and this uproar, if you just kind of scroll through the channels there and you catch the end of it, um, although these days we don't really catch movies on regular TV. It, it's all uh, streamed, so you don't really catch the end of a movie. But let's say you walk in late or whatever, and someone's watching a movie, and you're like, well, what's going on here? And, and why is this guy going crazy and all these people? And why this conflict? And, and you, you don't understand because you don't know the beginning, right? You, you, didn't, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't get the full picture. Um, if you had seen the beginning of the movie, you would understand what's going on in the end. Uh, likewise, um, and for that reason, that, that people get all tripped up and bent out of shape when, when they read passages uh, like the one we see here in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, where, where Paul says, uh, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled rest with us. Watch this. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Get this picture. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and look at this. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And, you know, lost people hear something like that, and, and, you know, and I get it. You know, they get all been out of shape. It's like, well, well, how is that a loving God? And, and those types of questions begin to arise and whatnot. But even Christians, y'all, even Christians read a passage like that, and, and they get all comfortable uh, over it, you know? I mean, you don't see Second Thessalonians 1, 6 through 9, cross-stitched on a pillow. I, you, you don't see... Um, any of the mainstream or any any band or, or artist or, or singer uh, writing lyrics about the the vengeance that God is going to execute on those that do not obey His gospel. Well, like it's but it, it just makes us uncomfortable. But but this is no less righteous of God and, and glorious of God than, than John three sixteen. And, but just like a movie, if you know the beginning, here's the point I'm trying to make. If you know the beginning, then the ending makes a lot more sense. Then the, this passage here and many like it make a lot more sense. Okay, so we, we, we've also talked about Job chapter 8, verses 8 through 10. Uh, we, we cleared off um, quite a bit of space to talk about this, uh, where God says there in Job, For inquire, I pray thee, of the former age, and prepare thyself to the search of their fathers. For we are but of yesterday and know nothing because our days upon earth are as a shadow. <clears throat> okay, so, so right there, God is telling you, listen, I want you to go back 
and I want you to know what was happening there with your forefathers. All right, church history, like in our context today, that is what we're talking about. And why would we do that besides the fact that he told us to? Verse 10, shall not they, the former age, the forefathers, shall not they teach thee and tell thee and utter words out of their heart? And, and he's saying, listen, they will teach you. Uh, and there are some things that we can learn that we wouldn't be able to learn any other way except by going back and studying these things out. Okay, and then we looked at a couple verses there in Proverbs, chapter 22 and chapter 23. And uh, these verses uh, are, are, <clears throat> are landmarks, if you will. Uh, we're told there in uh, Proverbs 22, 28, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. And then the very next chapter in verse 10, he says, Remove not the old landmark and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. And uh, without rehashing all of what we've done, uh, check those out on onebaptistjacks.world, those messages. But in a nutshell, if, if you don't learn from history uh, and go back to find the landmarks that God has established through the forefathers, then you'll walk through life, listen, thinking you're in one place, but you're really in another. You'll think you know where you're going, but you're really walking in a circle. You have no idea what's really going on around you, okay? But God says if you don't have those landmarks, and we establish, doctrinally speaking, that this landmark is the nation of Israel. It is the Jew, okay? And the fields of the fatherless is, is a Gentile history. It is um, <clears throat> being in a field or in, in a place in your life and your understanding where you've completely not just forgotten but removed uh, the nation of Israel uh, from history, from your biblical interpretation and understanding, uh, and all of that, and um, and, and that unfortunately is the um, is the plight of mainstream evangelicalism. It's 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 that is what has happened in ninety five plus percent of churches today. Unfortunately, and it is a perfect description of Christian <clears throat> excuse me Christianity today. And the thing that we learn from history is that men never learn from history. Um, and we don't learn the lessons from history because we, just, we don't learn history, right? So it kind of works both ways there. Uh, but that doesn't have to be our testimony, okay? And it's not going to be ours at One Baptist Church uh, if, if you're hanging here with us and, and giving yourself to the study. And the reason that we don't learn from history is because we don't know where God's been and we don't know where he's going. Okay, as we're studying church history here, um, uh, because that is the dispensation that we're living in right now, the church age, we begun building a biblical understanding of church history. And we started by looking at the development of the Bible, right? We spent a couple of weeks on that, and we'll return to that, uh, no doubt. Uh, but but we, we kind of unpacked that a little bit, kind of gotten a foundation down. Uh, so we've just begun this study. Uh, and, and we started doing that by having a blueprint, right, and knowing what the blueprint is and knowing how to use the blueprint. And that blueprint is our definition of church history, which is the movement of God through history to accomplish his threefold plan for the universe, the earth, and your life. And at the same time, it is the movement of the devil uh, through history to counter, counterfeit and confound God's plan, Okay. I'm not just giving that to you because uh, I think you forgot or uh, I forgot that I gave it to you. I want to just keep putting this 
in the forefronts of your mind there, okay? And so as we've discussed, history is, is um, we can liken it to, to a, a big chess match, if you will, <clears throat> between God and Satan. And we're trying to go back and trace those movements, okay? And we've discussed the importance of not just having a blueprint, but knowing how to read the blueprint. Because a blueprint does no good unless you know how to read it. Uh, so we've been working on that, okay? Uh, so we had all these moving parts going on right now, but we also have to build. When you go build something, you have to build according to code, do you not? Uh, there are certain guidelines, certain criteria, code that has to be followed, okay? And as we actually begin to build a biblical church history, we must, I put it in your notes this way, we must be sure that we're building according to that code, okay? There is someone who is going to be inspecting our work, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, by the way, and we need to be sure that we're building according to his standard and using the same standard that he uses when discerning church history, okay? We're not using... Uh, any man's standard, any church's standard, any denomination's standard. We're using God's standard, his word. And so that inspector, no, no doubt, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, the standard, it is his word, okay? And that's why we will not have to leave um, our, our the Bible in our study of, of church history, okay? Um, and so as it says here, Second uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, listen, his word in his word, he has given us, um, as his divine power hath given us, it says, all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that have called us to glory and virtue. And that's critical that we understand that because if these are indeed, as Second Peter 1, 3 says, the words, and it's through these words of knowledge that he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, that's, this is all we need for church history, okay? We need uh, nothing else all right and so again the bible will be the standard and basis for everything we learn okay um and that that's important uh because god god tells us <laughs> he, he tells us that we spent a lot of time last week uh looking through the pages of his word <clears throat> and seeing uh the premium that he puts on his word and his words and so we ought to put that same premium on it um but uh, I think there may be a note there uh, that says – I mentioned it, but I think I forgot to put it in here um, – that we will not have to leave the Bible in our entire study of church history. If that's on your notes there and I included that, you can go ahead and put that blank in if it's the word Bible. But if not, um, then, then I forgot to put it there too, and we can just move on. Uh, but as we're doing this, friends, there, there become, becomes a problem uh, because you know if you're hanging with us on Sunday mornings, you know that Pastor Frank is leading us through the book of Acts. And uh, we are not take, or we are not speeding through that book by any means. Uh, we are going line upon line, precept upon precept. And, and the problem, quote unquote, problem that we we're, we're going to have is that the book of the Bible that teaches us about the history of the church, the book of Acts, only has twenty eight chapters, and it doesn't even take us past the first century. So how can we not leave the Bible in this study? Right. If you go to the book that predominantly teaches us about church history, which is the book of Acts, or at least the, the start uh, of church history, uh, you'll notice it doesn't take us past the first century. So how in the world can we do that? Is this just going to be a really shallow study or a really short, quick study? Uh, well, well, neither, um, because I want to take you to another key book of the Bible, 
um, that's going to help us understand all of that. And um, if, if you um, if you've been around for a bit here uh, around these parts, then then you know I'm talking about the Book of Revelation. Okay, so we're going to spend a little bit of time tonight in the Book of Revelation, and then we're going to go go spend some time in, in Acts this evening. The, the two major places we'll be in. Uh, so the answer to that problem is what Revelation 1.20 calls the mystery of the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. Okay, and, and we put it in your notes this way, that, that though these churches were seven real churches, and, and I know that I'm speaking to a mixed audience this evening as far as our understanding of this. Uh, so wherever you are, friends, uh, please don't check out, whether you feel like you've got such a grasp on this or you're like, this is all new to me. Like, let's just hang in there together. Let's give due diligence to the word. Um, but but uh, though these seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 were real churches uh, present around 90 AD, they also represent periods uh, of church history. Okay, and we're going to unpack that. All right, how do you know that, Robert? We'll, we'll get there, I promise. But these seven periods pick up where the book of Acts leaves off and brings us through the other 20 centuries of church history all the way up to the rapture of the church, okay? And, and I say, I, I threw that in there, that 20 centuries of church history. Um, Robert, how do you know it's going to be 20 centuries and then the rapture of the church? Um, I, I'm not trying to predict something and, and, and get outside the, the, the parameters of, of um, biblical hermeneutic there. Um, but if you're just looking around <laughs> and, and you're paying attention, um, especially these days, friends, uh, I don't see how we're going to make it to another century. I, I just don't. Um, I, I believe that, 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 I mean, we're seeing the days. Um, but but I want you to note uh, what takes place immediately after the last chapter, uh, or excuse me, after the last letter to the church of the Laodiceans uh, in chapter 3. We go to chapter 4 and verse 1, right? And right after he ends that, that letter, uh, we see uh, in chapter 4 and verse 1, after this, okay, and so from a doctrinal standpoint, those those seven churches in Revelation two and three, uh, yeah, two and three. Uh, after this is those seven periods of church history, the church age. Okay. After this, I looked. John says, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it, excuse me, um, as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, "Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter." After what? After the church age. So uh, in Revelation 4.1, um, we, we see come up hither. Okay, Heaven opens, and there's a voice, uh, as it were, of a trumpet. And friends, this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Uh, look at the commonalities. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever or ever be with the Lord. Uh, look at you see the same terminology being used. It's the same event. It is the rapture of the church, the catching away, the catching up, where we meet the Lord in the air. Okay, and we'll get into this, but not to be confused with the the, the second coming of Christ. That's not the coming of Christ, right? Uh, we're meeting Him in the air. The second coming of Christ is a very different event. Uh, and very different things are going on. But by using Revelation 2 and 3 as our basis for building biblical church history, we will learn what most don't. We will understand what most can't. 
and we will be able to keep that ancient landmark, okay? It will keep us out of the fields of the fatherless. It will ensure that we are using the same standard that God uses when discerning church history, okay? And furthermore, it will help us unfold and understand the book of Revelation, all right? And listen, when I say that uh, we will understand what, what most don't and learn or can't and learn what most don't, that is not a prideful statement. It's just the fact of the matter that, that most Christians, unfortunately, don't understand these things, don't even know these things. And uh, Revelation is, is, and the book of Acts both are wrongly divided and wrongly applied. And, and there are many a Christian today in the fields of the fatherless. And, and so th th I, I say that uh, with, with humility. I, I assure you that. Okay. So the things that we're going to cover for the rest of our time this evening, um, some of you, as I said earlier, you may already be familiar with it. Okay. But I caution you and I ask you to please don't, don't check out. Don't look past these things, okay? I I'm asking you to resist the urge to think, come on, Robert, we know this, okay? Uh, the next portion of this message is very critical and very foundational to our understanding of the book of Revelation and the book of Acts, okay? Uh, these two books that we're using right now are going to begin our study of church history. So, so stay with me. Uh, make sure you've got these foundational truths hammered down, okay? And then maybe there are some who, who haven't fully grasped these things. Uh, you haven't fully grasped the uh, right divisions that we're going to discuss tonight, okay? So wherever you are in that spectrum, let's make sure we get a firm hold on these things, okay? And so I want to begin by taking a look at, at the keys to understanding the book of Revelation, okay? Um, as I've already mentioned to you, um, we saw in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 that, that heaven opens. There's a voice that comes says come up hither and john uh is is uh is, is taken up okay being a picture of the church all right right after that church age all right and, and so there are two times actually these are our landmarks these are going to be kind of our our um our controls here uh, there are two times in the book of revelation uh where heaven opens up the first one as we saw was in chapter four verses one and two uh heaven opens and somebody goes up picturing for us the rapture and then in revelation 19 verse 11 uh, we see heaven opening up again, uh, and somebody comes down, which is the second coming uh, of Christ, uh, that, that separate event that I uh, referenced earlier. Uh, that's in verse 11 there of chapter 19. And I saw heaven opened, John says, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful, y'all, and true. And in righteousness he doth judge, and look what he's doing. He's making war. Okay. Um, those are two different events, okay? Those two passages, those two events, those two places, let us know where we are in what God is revealing about himself here, okay? With those two landmarks, you can figure out where you are in the book because there are some things that happen between those two events and there are some things that happen after that, that second event, okay? And now what God is doing is he's setting up some major landmarks for us. And you know what's going to happen if you remove those landmarks? Yeah, you're going to be lost in the fields of the fatherless, okay? You won't be able to make heads from tails, and you won't know what's going on, okay? And, and so maybe right about now, especially if this is kind of the first time maybe you're hearing some of this or not very familiar with it, you may be thinking, okay, I see that. But how do you know the seven letters represent seven periods of church history? 
and not just those particular churches back in 90 AD. Well, uh, take a look at chapter one. Um, if you have your Bible, I hope so. I'm going to show you the verses, but you know, do have your Bible in front of you. Okay, I'm taking you here, but we're going to come back and study this more in detail uh, in a few weeks. But, but I want you to see where we're going with this thing and how it is that we won't have to leave the Bible for this study. Okay, so the way that uh, the way we know that these seven letters are more than just to seven churches is found in Revelation chapter one. Okay, that is the key. All right, now we've set some landmarks, but now he gives us some keys. All right, so let's looking at chapter one. Um, we're going to, in verse 10 here, we're going to get there in a moment, uh, understanding what time period it is that John actually wrote the book. So we're going to set some context here, okay? Check out Revelation 1.10. John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. All right, so I, I, I want to take a moment and tell you what John is not saying first, okay? Um, because... We get ourselves, I say we collectively, you know, as the church, 21st century Christianity, we get ourselves all messed up here because we just breeze by these things, right? Thinking that he's telling us what day of the week it was or what kind of spiritual condition that John was in when he received this revelation, okay? Uh, meaning when he says, I was in the spirit, well, isn't that what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ, right? Like God by his spirit lives in you. And you are in the spirit, right? Is that not the mystery of the indwelling Christ in you, Colossians 1, 27? And, and is that not the mystery of the church, you in Christ, Ephesians 5, 30 and 32, 30 through 32, right? Being in the spirit ought to be true of every believer, okay? So why is he calling that out? I mean, we're called to walk in the spirit, right? So why is he calling that out? That's not what he's saying. Okay, he's not having some super majorly spiritual time in his life. Uh, he, he's given us a key to understand the entire book. Okay, or when he says on the Lord's day, right? We tend to think of that in our minds that it must have been a Sunday, that first day of the week, that, that day that Christ rose from the dead. But listen, this is super important. Okay, we've got it. We've got to get our minds wrapped around the book. Okay, not wrapped around churchianity. Okay. The Bible says that the church met on the first day of the week and that Christ rose on the first day of the week. But the Bible never refers to the Lord's day as being a Sunday. Not one time. Okay, so if we're going to be biblical about this thing, as, as Pastor Frank says, let's let the Bible be the Bible. Let's let it be the authority. Let's, let's, let, let's submit our thinking to it, right? Don't, don't subject it to our thinking, right? Okay, not once. Right? Does God define the Lord's Day as Sunday? Okay, never uh, refers to the Lord's Day as the first day of the week. All right, so okay, if we're going to use the Bible to define it, let's use the Bible to define the Lord's Day. All right, so if you take this book and, and as we often do, compare spiritual with spiritual, First Corinthians two nine through thirteen, and let the Bible define itself, which it does, you will see that the Lord's Day or the Day of the Lord. It is always a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. You will find that, that all over the place, hundreds upon hundreds of times, uh, you will see in that day, the day of the Lord, uh, over and over and over. Okay, and, and herein lies the problem in not reading your Old Testament. 
because if you just hang out in the New Testament all the time, you're you're not in the OT, then then you're missing <laughs> doctrine major, friends. You, you are okay, uh, but the Lord's Day it, it is what what Jude talks about there in, in his uh, one chapter book of verses fourteen and fifteen, uh, where he says, "And Enoch also the seventh from Adam." prophesied of thee saying behold the lord cometh okay with with ten thousands of his saints to execute look judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him okay he's preaching about the second coming of christ before christ came the first time okay it's that even that peter preaches about in Acts chapter 3 and verse 21, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Okay, this is a very significant day as far as the Bible is concerned. Thus, it ought to be a significant day where we are concerned. I mean, this is the day that he will get the glory, as Psalm, the book of Psalms says, uh, that is due his name. Okay. But but just to, to break it down uh, uh, from a technical or specific standpoint, and generally speaking, uh, because the Bible uh, uses both of these ways to describe the, the Lord's day or the day of the Lord. Technically, uh, the day of the Lord is the, the literal, uh, the physical day when Christ comes out of heaven and sets his foot on this planet and sets up his kingdom. Okay, but from a general standpoint, it is, biblically speaking, it is a time immediately after the rapture of the church. And if you're trying to take notes here, I know I left these blank, um, so I'll slow down just a bit. But generally speaking, it is a period of time immediately after the rapture of the church, uh, including everything from the beginning of the tribulation period up through the second coming and the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. So from a general standpoint, remember, a day, a, a day with the Lord is, is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. So, so there's a technical and a general a biblical understanding of, of the Lord's day. Okay. Um, again, Peter said in Acts chapter 3 that all of God's um, holy prophets were preaching about this day. You go back into those major prophets, those minor prophets, and you see them talking about the day of vengeance, the Lord's coming, the day of the Lord, that great day, that terrible, great and terrible day. All of these before his first coming, and it's or and more so than his first coming, right? It's an amazing thing. And so, why do we talk about that? Because what John is actually saying there in Revelation chapter one and verse ten, I'll put it there in your notes here, is that when he writes the book. The Spirit of God has translated him forward in time into the time of the second coming or the day of the Lord. Okay? Now, if you're zoning out, stay with me because this is very important. Okay? He's writing this book from the standpoint of a man who is way out here. I'm going to say here because it's a lot closer to our time than it was his. Who's way out here. Uh, in the days right before the rapture of the church, uh, it's super important that, that we get that, okay? Especially when you come to verse 19 of Revelation chapter 1. Because it's from that standpoint that John is told to write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, 
and the things which shall be after. Look at that in verse 19, okay? So if, if we're going to understand what the things, what these things are uh, that has been, that are, and what shall be hereafter, we have to know from what standpoint he's writing and he's, he's seeing these things, okay? And, and so in, in Revelation 119, God tells John to write about the past, the present, and the future, right? It goes back to that very first lesson or the, the very first message we did, the first couple, uh, where we said God has a threefold plan. Okay, so the past, the present, and the future. But what would that have meant from the standpoint of the day of the Lord, right? We have to keep that landmark. We have to keep the context. Okay, so we have it here in your notes this way. Chapters 1 through 3 are, quote, and as 119a says, the things which John has seen, right? Or the things which from the standpoint of the Lord's day were in the past. Okay, namely the events of the church age to the rapture. All right, so there's chapters one through three, the things which thou hast seen. All right, uh, by the way, in chapters two through three, two and three alone, he uses the word church seven times and the word church is another 12 times. It just in those two chapters alone. Okay, and what's interesting further is that after Revelation 4 1, you don't see it on earth again until it comes out of heaven with Christ in Revelation 19. All right, it's very important that we get that for those of us or for those who will say that uh, the church is not raptured or that the rapture and the second coming are the same thing. Okay, why is the church uh, not mentioned there? Why, why is it not on earth? Because it's not on earth, it's been raptured out. All right. I showed you Revelation 19.11 um, a second ago, but uh, look at the rest there. Um, uh, so the, the, the white horse, he, he that sat upon it was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Verse 12, his eyes, y'all, were as a flame of fire, and on his head, man, praise the Lord, were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Get this picture, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven, the armies which were in heaven, who do you think that is, followed him, hello, uh, upon white horses. Um, they were clothed in fine linen, by the way, uh, white and clean. Okay, uh, that is a picture of that, not a picture, that is a description of us coming back with him as he lays the smackdown on this earth and on those that have blasphemed his name. And his word. Okay, uh, so so just so we get that picture, that understanding. All right, but but then uh, we we have chapters four through nineteen. Okay, and those are the things which are, or, or those things again, which from the standpoint of the Lord's day were in the present. Uh, specifically, the events of the tribulation and the second coming. All right, that's that's what Reve uh, yeah Revelation four through nineteen is all about. Okay. And, and and many of us know that just as God gave us four accounts of his first coming, we call those the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, throughout the chapters, or the, the, yeah, 4 through 19 of Revelation, uh, he gives us four accounts of the second coming, all right? And that's another thing that, that gets people's um, theological bridges all in a wad, because they just, they don't see that. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll see that as we get further into our study, I assure you of that. And then chapters 20 through 22 are the things which shall be, okay? Uh, or, again, the things which from the standpoint of the Lord's day were yet in the future, and that would be the events of the millennium, 
and on into eternity future. Okay. Now, it should also be noted while we're here that because this book is the revelation of who? Jesus Christ, right? It's not the revelations of Jesus Christ, by the way. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's Revelation 1.1. It actually necessitated that it be divided into these three tenses because in Revelation 4, or excuse me, one eight, he says that he is, he was, and he is to come. Okay, uh, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the and the end, ending. So uh, it just makes sense that, that that's how he would divide it. All right, because it's who he is. So so to summarize that, friends, from the standpoint of the day of the Lord, that day when, when Christ will will, will will come back. Uh, he is writing about the past, so the church age, Revelation 2 and 3. Uh, the church age is the past. The tribulation and the second coming is beneath him, so to speak, and the millennium is out into the future. Okay, So verses 10 and 19 of Revelation 1 let you know where you are in the scheme of things. Okay, It lets you know if the rapture is chapter 4 and verse 1. Then chapters 2 and 3 cover that period of the church age before the rapture. It's something more than just seven churches at one point in history. Okay, It is that, and let's not take from that. But it's more than that, right? It's the three applications of Scripture that we learn about, um, the, the devotional, the historical, and the doctrinal or prophetic. Okay, um, but, but those seven periods of church history comprise all of church history from the first century where the book of Acts leaves off, that's, that's why we're in Revelation, um, all the way up until the rapture in, in chapter 4 and verse 1. Okay, so like I said, we're, we're going to come back to the book of Revelation uh, later on, and we're going to begin to see these things unfold in chapters 2 and 3 when we get into our, the meat of our church history study, right? I'm excited for us to, to get there. Uh, I think you are too. I think y'all are like, all right, let's just do it already. Um, but I really think it's going to blow you guys away. Uh, it's, it's blowing me away, uh, this study already, right? Um, to begin to see that what God is lying out for us in detail, just how he does it in Revelation 2 and 3, in masterful detail. Everything that was going on through the history of the church, hundreds and even thousands of years before it even happened. Like, like when you begin to see this, if you have any doubts in your mind or your heart about the sovereignty of the word of God and the, the, the God of the word, uh, there was nothing like prophecy that, that, that will convert that, that mind and that, that doubting heart. Um, but it, it's amazing. One of the most amazing things of the entire Bible. Um, you'll begin to see that in a couple months when we get there. Um, but if you're going to understand uh, what we're going to see in chapters 2 and 3 when we get there, we've got to follow God's progression, okay? We need to come at it the way God lays it out, okay? We don't want to put the cart before the horse. Uh, we don't want to get ahead of God. And so uh, before he gets to that structure in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, he lays the foundation in the book of Acts, okay? So let's head over to the book of Acts. Uh, and we're going to do the same thing that we did with Revelation, all right? And this will kind of take us through the remainder of our study tonight. Uh, so so let, let, let's get a feeling for this foundation that God is laying out for us. And I want to talk to you for, for a bit about the importance of making these right divisions as we're told to in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. 
the importance of making those right divisions in the book of Acts. Okay. Um, so we spent a little bit of time already talking about the book of Acts a couple of Thursday nights ago. Uh, and I mentioned that this book will be the foundation of our entire study. And I know we've talked quite a bit about Acts over the last couple of years, really, um, in our Sunday morning study. Okay. Um, and one of the things that, that we've learned about this particular book is that you've got to be very, very careful in the book of Acts because there are people that have gone in here and have lost the landmarks and they've gotten lost in the fields of the fatherless. They've gotten lost over the correct teaching about what salvation is because they don't see what's really happening here. Okay, listen, Revelation, oh, excuse me, 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And let me tell you, if you don't make the right divisions in the book of Acts, you will get yourself messed up in a major way. And as far as making right divisions go, there are two important things that you've got to have fixed in your mind. Okay, and, and, and I think if you're looking at your notes, you can probably fill in most of those blanks already if, you, if you've been around. Um, but this is where I'm going to insert that, that warning again. Please don't get ahead. And, and, uh, I mean, like, please don't just kind of zone out and, and think you, you've got this. I, I'm sure you do. Uh, but let the Lord teach us tonight, okay? Number one. The book of Acts is not a, a doctrinal statement of church theology. It is an historical account of the Acts of the Apostles. Okay, Look at Acts chapter 1. Look at the very title of the book. What is the title of the book? It is the Acts of the – it doesn't just say Acts. The Acts of the Apostles. Okay, He's telling us that in the very title – all right, now 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 will tell us that all Scripture is profitable for doctrine. And it is, okay? It is. But that doctrine, friends, has to be rightly divided, okay? Not all doctrine is for the church. That's very important that we get that, okay? Number two, um, again, we know this from our Sunday morning study, the book of Acts is a transitional book, all right? And we have spent a a lot, a lot of time we've given to that, okay? And so I'm not going to give that time here, uh, but I am going to touch on it uh, for the sake of those who may you know, want a review or who, who may not know, um, okay? So, so those of us in, in this local church, at One Baptist Church, we get it, right? We can wrap our heads around that because we spent so much time there. Uh, and if someone grabbed a hold of some doctrine in the book of Acts and attempted to wrongly divide it and wrongly apply it, I bet you could you would tell them, well— you know, brother, let me tell you something. You can't get your doctrine from Acts because it's a book of history and it's a transitional book, right? And and you'd be right. Um, and that might sound impressive. But what if they say, oh, really? Can you show me that? Can you show me some of these transitions? I, I would ask, could you show them the transitions? Uh, because I, I fear, as is human nature, uh, even the best of us, 
we, we tend to just regurgitate what we're told or what our pastor says or what we've heard or, you know, what, what we've learned or whatever. But, but can you take the word of God and, and show it to someone? Okay, so um, that's what I want to kind of help you get to tonight if you're not there. All right. And that's one of the things that we've been hammering home through the infant stages of this study. Right. It's great to know what you believe, but you need to know why you believe it. Okay. And we've gone back uh, to see some of the foundational things, right? But the average Jehovah's Witness at the door can turn any believer upside down if they don't know why they believe what they believe, okay? And in these last days, it is so important to know why we believe what we believe. So it's not just, or excuse me, it's not enough to just have a little handle on the book of Acts. Okay, it's a transitional book, blah, blah, blah. No, you, you need to know what those transitions are and what's really going on in here. Because I'm telling you, the things I'm about to share with you, uh, or for those of you that get this and have gotten this, the things that you're going to be re reminded of tonight, you're not going to see this in most places, in most commentaries. Uh, you're not going to see this. And by most, I mean probably next to all. Like, you're, you're not going to see this stuff. And why, why is that? It's because Proverbs 22 and Proverbs 23 have been violated. The ancient landmark has been lost. Um, so, oh, um, let me get my head on straight here. Where am I? Okay. Um, so, so one thing that uh, we'll observe as we make our way through the book of Acts is that the, the most consistent thing about Acts is its inconsistency. Okay. Uh, God does one thing over here and does something different over there. All right, and this is very simply because God is making key transitions for the purpose, uh, for His key purposes throughout this entire book. All right, this book, the book of Acts, is a bridge that carries us from one dispensation into a new dispensation called the Church Age. All right, we are currently living in the Church Age. Right, and, and Acts is the record of God's transition from accomplishing His plan through the nation of Israel to accomplishing His plan through the Church. Okay. God's change in plans uh, is made obvious through uh, th through at least seven uh, key transitions in the book of Acts, okay? So uh, if you want to just kind of maybe jot a couple notes here and there, I'll put them up here for you. Uh, first of all, it's an obvious transition from the four Gospels to the book of Romans, okay? And, and this is uh, this actual trans, excuse me, when, when we say the actual instruction and you look at the actual teaching that is found in the four Gospels, and then you compare it to the instruction and the teaching that's found in the beginning of the book of Romans, it is more than apparent that something significant has changed, okay? Because without the book of Acts strategically and divinely placed between the four Gospels and Romans, it would be impossible, friends. I'll show you this in a moment. It'll be impossible to ever understand what happened and why it happened. Number two uh, there's a transition in the book of Acts from an Old Testament structure to a New Testament structure, okay? Uh, and, and just briefly, the transition is made because, uh, as Hebrews uh, tells us, the, the testator has died. Uh, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. and uh, has ascended to the Father, uh, putting uh, the New Testament into action or into force, okay? Very much like a last will and testament, right? If you have a will, uh, something that... Uh, doesn't go into effect until after you die, 
right? The very that's that's when we get the New Testament. Okay, so as we're going through the four gospels, though they are in our New Testament, it doesn't take long to realize that there's an old testament economy, an old testament structure, way of doing things, way of living, very present in the four gospels. Okay. But then when you get to Romans, it's very different, right? Because that transition in the book of Acts. Number three, from God working with the Jew to God working with the Gentile, a, a, a non-Jew, all right? And, and I want to show this to you in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, and then over in there in Acts 8. Look at Matthew 10. Uh, These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, watch this. Jesus said, go not into the way of the Gentiles. And into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. Okay, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Hazis. Verse 6, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, notice what he's preaching. We're going to come to this later on. He's preaching to Israel, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, and then we go to Romans. And we see that Paul is talking to a bunch of Gentiles. Okay, well, what happened? Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 5, Therefore they were, uh, excuse me, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. To Samaria. But, but Jesus said, don't go to the city of the Samaritans. Interesting. So the book of Acts lets us know how it is that we went from Jesus saying, uh-uh-uh, don't go to the Gentiles, go to the Jews, to Paul giving specific instruction to Gentile believers uh, in the church in Rome. Okay, Number four, we see a transition from God accomplishing his plan through the nation of Israel to accomplishing his plan through the church, which is a group of, of composed of Jews and Gentiles. Right? Uh, listen, after God called out Abraham, uh, it was obvious that throughout all the Old Testament that the plan of God on the earth was intended to be fulfilled by this chosen people and this chosen nation, okay? And were it not for the history specifically recorded in the book of Acts, we would never be able to comprehend just how it was that God put the nation of Israel and his promises to them on hold and carry out his promises and plan on the earth in a 2,000-year dispensation to the church. And if you don't think or don't, or if you doubt that God has put uh, his plans for the nation of Israel on hold, uh, check out Romans chapter 11 for me, okay? That is very important that we understand that, all right? Blindness in part has happened to Israel, okay? God is not done with the Jew. The church has not replaced the Jew. We do not inherit the promises of the Jew to Israel. We've been grafted in, but we are not... The recipients of those promises okay god gave those very specific promises but to the jew but look at this transaction okay it's from the nation of israel to the church okay um a transition number five from the preaching and this is we're going to come back to this one and i i alluded to it a second ago we see a, a preaching of a kingdom of heaven message to a preaching of a kingdom of god message okay the, the kingdom of heaven a literal earthly kingdom offered to israel the kingdom of God, the unseen spiritual kingdom inside individual believers, okay? Hold it, file it, we're going to return to it. Transition six from Peter, who was the apostle to the Jews, 
to attract to Paul, who is the apostle to the Gentiles. Okay, listen. If we were to use you, you download eSword or, or get a Bible program, or if you're really bored during the, your quarantine, get out your Bible and count. Uh, but if you were to use a Bible program to do a word search for the word Peter in the book of Acts, it would reveal something very interesting. Okay, In the first half of the book, we would find verse after verse upon verse that had Peter's name in it, all right? Uh, 57 of them, okay? Uh, but by the time we get to chapter 13, with one exception, Peter's name is totally dropped out of the book. No more to be found with one with, uh, the exception of one time. Uh, conversely, if we were to search the, the, the word Saul or Paul, we would find that there would be none in the early chapters, okay, very seldom, if any, right? Um, especially Paul, uh, but just as Peter's name begins to fade out of the book of Acts, Paul's name begins fading in and becomes the predominant name in the middle all the way to the end of the book of Acts over 150 times. Listen, this reveals the fact that there is a transition from the ministry of the apostle to the Jews, who was Peter, uh, to the ministry of the apostle to the Gentiles, which was Paul. Okay? Uh, listen, such an important, critical book. And finally, transition seven, uh, we see a transition from God's base of operations being in Jerusalem to it being in Antioch. Okay, uh, watch. In the early chapters of Acts, it is very obvious that God's power and his work is based in Jerusalem, right? When you read Acts 2 and you check out those verses there, if you're on 41 through 47, and I'm not going to read this all to you word for word, uh, but you look at these things that were happening. Uh, all this was going on in Jerusalem. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Uh, thousands were being added. Uh, they were breaking bread. They were in prayers. Fear came upon every soul. Many signs, or excuse me, wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Um, all those that believed were together, had all things in common. They sold their possessions. All this stuff that was going on, it's in Jerusalem. Okay. But then we see um, in Acts chapter 13, it's obvious that Antioch has become the new um, hub of operations, if you will, from which Christianity will spread to the world. Okay, In fact, a part of Paul's ministry in collecting funds from the church in Antioch is to send back to the poor saints in Jerusalem. You, you can see that in Romans 15 and 1 Corinthians 16. Okay, And it's important to understand, friends. That the transition from Israel to the church and the church age were mysteries, okay? That there were truths that were hidden from the 12 apostles, right? Uh, again, check out Romans eleven twenty five, Ephesians 3, uh, 1 through 12, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, okay? Listen, the 12 believed that God dealt exclusively with the nation of Israel, right? Remember what he told them in Matthew 10, 5 through 7? Don't go the way of the Gentiles. Don't go to any city of the Samaritans. But go to the lost sheep of Israel and preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, and listen in their um, ethnocentric opinions, the Gentiles were pagans. Okay, the Gentiles, according to the Jews and in, in their opinions, they, they were pagan heathens, unworthy to receive anything from God. Uh, Acts eleven uh, records that the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Whoa. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, 
they that were of the circumcision, uh, Jews, contended with him, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised and did eat with them? And listen, the apostles thought that they were going to find themselves in the millennial reign of Christ, but they actually found themselves in the church age in case something happened there. And we've unpacked all that in, in our Sunday morning study. I would refer you to our website for that. Um, so, so listen, again, all scripture is profitable for doctrine, yes, but, but you better know where you are in that transition or you'll find yourself grabbing doctrine for yourself in the middle of a transition like the church of Christ does and like charismatics do, and you will wrongly divide it. And you will get salvation messed up. You will get tongues messed up. You will get healings messed up. You will get the gifts of the Spirit messed up, and on and on and on. Okay, so so how do I make these right divisions? Okay, and this is where we're gonna we're not landing yet, but we, we can see the, the 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 terminal there. We can see the landing strip in the distance, so we're gonna kind of start to bring this thing in uh, with this. Okay. Um, I want to show you uh, the key to making the right divisions in the book of Acts, okay? And that is knowing the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, okay? Um, and, and listen, um, if, if you have a King James Bible in front of you, uh, you will be able to rightly divide and understand the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. If you do not have a King James Bible in front of you, my friend, it is impossible, okay? It is impossible, all right? That's not my opinion. It is impossible for you to rightly divide and to understand or even know that there is a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, okay? Listen, I'm going to show you. And the reason I say that, by the way, is because like we talked about over the last couple of weeks, words have been changed. Things have been taken out. Things have been added, okay? One of the things that I learned in my uh, seminary experience, I mentioned this last week, I think, uh, is that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, my professors, Dr. So-and-so and Professor Huza Huza, taught me that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven were the same thing and used interchangeably and simultaneously in the word of God. Okay, false. Now, it is true that there are passages where uh, – corresponding passages in, in different gospels where the kingdom of God is used and then the kingdom of heaven. But there's a very distinct purpose and intention for that, right? Uh, because there are times when one kingdom or both are being offered, okay? Uh, so there are things that are going on there. But, but listen, you can't just change the word God and the word heaven, okay? Those are very different words that mean very different things, and they are very different kingdoms, okay? And if this is the first time you're hearing that, I know from experience that it flies in the face of what you've been taught and what you've come to think or believe, okay? But let's let the Bible be the Bible, okay? Shut up, Robert. Let the Bible talk. All right, Romans chapter 4, verse 17. Just watch these things about the kingdom of God. Uh, Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Okay? Luke 17, 20 through 21, uh, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. You can't see the kingdom of God, he says, okay? Uh, he says, neither shall they say, lo, there, or, or lo, there. 
You can't say, hey, there it is. That's it. Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Okay? And, and Paul said there in Romans, again, remember, it's not meat and drink. So meat and drink are physical. All right? But it's righteousness. Righteousness is not tangible. Peace is not tangible. Joy is not tangible. Okay? You, you can't go buy a bottle of uh, joy from Walmart. Right? That's not what that is. Okay? So there's a very distinct um, characteristic here that we're seeing. First uh, Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 20, uh, Paul goes on and says, The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And then in chapter 15, verse 50, he says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so in a nutshell, if we're going to just let the Bible be the Bible, uh, the, these verses that we just looked at say that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It is not flesh and blood. It doesn't come with observation. In other words, you can't say here it is and there it is. It's not even something you say. But according to the word of God, these verses tell us that the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. And you enter it, Jesus said in John chapter 3, by a spiritual birth. Check it out. Jesus answered and said unto Nicodemus there, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, that second birth, that spiritual birth, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus there is confused and, and thinks he's talking about a physical birth. How can a man enter his mother's room a second time and be born? No, 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 Jesus says in verse 5, except a man be born of water and of the spirit he cannot again enter the kingdom, into the kingdom of God. So it is within you, friends. All right. If you are a believer, a blood-bought believer, uh, and a son of God, uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, it is within you. Okay. So what is the kingdom of heaven? Okay. So if the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom, what do you think the kingdom of heaven would be? It would be the opposite. It would be a literal kingdom. It is a physical kingdom okay uh, john the baptist comes on the scene in matthew chapter 3 and verse 2 and he's preaching repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand okay so what's he talking about uh, i'm going to give you the the definition here uh and then we're going to unpack it uh briefly uh, uh he's talking about the literal kingdom where a literal king sits on a literal throne over a literal nation of Israel, okay? It is that, that millennial reign of Christ. It is a physical kingdom, okay? Listen, there are over 500 references made concerning this kingdom in the Old Testament, okay? And note that the Old Testament is primarily, primarily, primarily Jewish, in Isaiah, over 100 verses. In Ezekiel, 12 entire chapters to that particular promise of the kingdom of heaven. Jeremiah, again, over 100 times. Daniel, chapter 2, chapter 7, chapter 9, chapter 12, and on and on the prophets go. But those are just the Old Testament references to that kingdom, okay? There are numerous New Testament references to it as well. 
Uh, but, but here is something very important that you must know about the phrase, the kingdom of heaven. It appears in the New Testament, count them, 33 times in 32 verses. Okay, check it out. I've done it. Okay, we won't take the time to go through all those, but but I think you'll find it very interesting that every one of them just happened to appear in, in one singular book of New Testament. Okay, all 33 references in 32 verses show up in one New Testament book. Okay, all of those references to the kingdom of heaven are found in the book of Matthew. And, and that's interesting. Uh, but furthermore, that's important because you may recall that the gospel of Matthew is that gospel that was written specifically to the Jews to present Jesus Christ as the king of the Jews, okay, and, and, and over the kingdom that he will rule, uh, which is called the kingdom of heaven. Okay, if, if you're thinking and you, you're asking questions, um, you might be thinking, okay, if it's a physical kingdom on this earth, Robert, why is it referred to as the kingdom of heaven? And you're asking great questions, by the way. Uh, and I need you to grab this because this is another time when I'm going to need you to stop thinking like we think in the church. And I need you to start thinking like God thinks. I need you to start seeing things as God sees them. Okay, again, the Bible is our standard. Okay. Though it is a kingdom on the earth, it is called the kingdom of heaven because from God's perspective, from God's vantage point in the third heaven, uh, by the way, uh, Psalm 150, um, is it 150? No, maybe 148. Yeah, okay. 148, I'm looking over there at Frank. 149. <laughs> Split the difference. Okay. <laughs> what is, oh, eight. One, two, three, eight. Okay, man. Can't count, can't preach. Okay. <laughs> you can't, I don't know why I'm around here. Um, in, in, in Psalm 148, uh, we see a description of, of three different heavens, okay? And even in Corinthians, Paul tells them that he, he, he knew a man who was caught up in the third heaven, okay? You can't dismiss that, all right? So there, there's a third heaven, which tells us, if we're thinking, there is a, has to be a second and a first, right? It's the third heaven, okay? And so I want you to note that though it's a, this kingdom of heaven, though it's a kingdom on the earth, uh, or, yeah, a physical kingdom, from God's perspective, from the third heaven, right, let's get his perspective, the earth is in the midst of the heavens, okay? Uh, the first heaven, biblically speaking, is the atmosphere, right, where we see the birds, the clouds, uh, et cetera, et cetera, airplanes are flying. Uh, the second heaven, biblically speaking, is the stars, the cosmos, the planets, uh, that, that, that what the Bible calls um, the deep, actually. Uh, and that third heaven is God's holy dwelling place, okay? Uh, that's Bible. That's that's not me. So, so read your Bibles on that. Uh, but from God's perspective, the earth is in the midst of the heavens, okay? So biblically speaking, when you see heaven, it doesn't always mean heaven, the third heaven, where, where God is, right? We think that, but but stop thinking like that, okay? Stop thinking like, like the, a natural man. Stop thinking like <laughs> – uh, don't think like a Christian in the 21st century, okay? And I'm not knocking you because I'm one. Uh, but let's let's get God's perspective here, all right? And the earth is in the midst of the heavens. It's the capital, if you will, of the universe. Uh, in, in other words, it's the place from which God has chosen to enact his plan, okay? Uh, furthermore, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven cannot be the same kingdoms 
because in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 12, we see that uh, it says uh, from the days of John the Baptist until now, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. And my dear friends, you cannot take anything spiritual by force. You, it, it, the kingdom of God is not physical, right? So how can something intangible and spiritual suffer violence and be taken by force? All right? And, and I want us to note that the kingdom of heaven is, is sometimes referred to in the Bible as the kingdom of Israel, okay? And this is where we're going to start. Okay, we're starting to land now. Uh, so so we're, we're about there, friends. But, but I, I can't leave. You can't leave uh, without catching this. Okay, I want, to sh I want you to look in Acts chapter 1, all right, uh, the first three verses. Luke re records, the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, uh, speaking of the book of uh, Luke, of the Gospel of Luke, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by Man, praise the Lord, many infallible proofs, and, and watch it, being seen of them 40 days and speaking, hello, look, of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Okay, so this is what happened after Jesus died, these three verses here. After he died, was buried, and rose again, he walked with his disciples, y'all, for 40 days. And what was he doing with them? Okay, it's there in verse 3. What's he talking about? He's talking about a spiritual kingdom. Okay, now I challenge you to grab a commentary on Acts chapter 1. They will mourn the stupidity of the disciples because of a question that they asked Jesus in Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, when they therefore were come together, so this is after, after Acts 1 through 3, obviously, when they were therefore come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time again restore again the kingdom, look, to Israel? Okay, so if the kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven, right, if, if they're the same thing, then you naturally conclude that, that, man, these knuckleheads just can't figure it out, okay? But the point is, and the truth is, they're really asking something different in verse 6 than what Jesus was teaching in verse 3. Okay? Look, check it out in Luke 24, 45. This is what happened. This is Jesus after he resurrected. Okay, this is, this is that parallel. The end of Luke, you know, beginning of Acts, it kind of bridges there. Uh, then opened he, Jesus, there, the disciples, understanding that they might understand the scriptures. This is important. Okay, this is that same period of time, like, like I just said, of Acts 1, uh, that 40 days where he is teaching them. Okay, listen, get this. The God of the universe has opened their eyes to the scriptures, y'all. These are not village idiots who don't understand the kingdom. <laughs> They've had 40 days of, of God in flesh, open, not just teaching them, opening their eyes. And what's happening is they're saying, okay, Jesus, we got that. We understand the kingdom of God. But what about the physical kingdom of Israel? 
that was promised in the book of Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Daniel. Is this the time that you will restore that literal, physical kingdom of heaven to Israel? And listen, it's a good question. Okay? Look in verse 7. Jesus answers them. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his power. And so he doesn't really answer them specifically. His answer is, it's not for you to know right now. All right? And, and we're going to end with this verse right here. When, when you're reading through your New Testament and you get over there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul begins that last chapter there, and he says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And so he, he's telling them, hey, I don't need to write to you about the times and the seasons because you already know about that. So how does that line up with what Jesus told his apostles there in Acts chapter 1? Because they both use that same terminology, the times and the seasons. So from what took place in Acts 1 to, to what takes place in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, something very major has taken place about the kingdom. And if you don't understand what took place, you will never understand the book of Acts. And if you don't understand that, you won't understand church history or the history of man or the history of the Bible for that matter. Because it's all about that kingdom. And, and, and listen, unfortunately, it's time for me to stop. I don't have time right now to tell you about what took place. Um, but we're going to dig into this thing again next week. <clears throat> Uh, but listen, <laughs> you have got to be here next week, right? Like I should close every sermon with, with this, right? You got to be here next week because like, I, I feel that way. Um, man alive. Uh, listen, okay. Do you remember uh, what we talked about uh, when we were looking uh, in uh, Genesis two and three, uh, Ezekiel 28, uh, where Satan was before the garden or before he was the serpent in the garden, right? How Ezekiel 28 tells us that it was in the garden of Eden where Lucifer's throne was. Okay. And, and we see in the early pages of the Bible that a kingdom begins to develop, friends, in that garden. And all of history begins with a kingdom. And all of history ends with a kingdom. And all the way through this entire book, uh, God is moving toward a kingdom that he is going to set up on this earth. And when you begin to see God moving through here, you'll start to see those landmarks. Okay. Some things are going to really begin to unfold for us. So listen, I'm going to pray for us, but I do hope you'll join us next week. Um, next Thursday, we will be um, on our campus. Uh, so if you can join us, please do so. If not, as Pastor Frank said at the beginning, you'll be able to catch us uh, through this venue as well. Uh, but, but pray with me, and, um, and uh, we'll wrap this thing up for tonight. Father God, uh, Lord, I thank you so much. Uh, for your word. Um, I say that every Thursday. I say that more than that, you know, but um, God, seriously, thank you for it. And um, th there is nothing like it, Lord. And it's amazing. I got to thank you uh, how, how you've opened my eyes. Uh, and, and I know that's a testimony of many uh, in this local church, how you, by, by your spirit and uh, Lord, by rightly dividing your word and just simply taking our stinking fingers off of it 
and making it what we think it should say and uh, thinking that it's hard to, to understand when really people just have a hard time believing it. But God, when we take our opinions out and our presuppositions and our assumptions and our churchianity and our supposed wisdom, man's wisdom, when we remove all that and just let the Bible be our authority and our standard, God, it's amazing what you do. And so I personally just thank you for, for opening my eyes to these things, Lord. And I thank you for, for a, a local church, uh, God, a pastor, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ uh, who, who, Lord, ha have that same testimony and have that same desire. And so, Lord, we give you the praise. Uh, Lord, I, I pray, God, that, that, that you ju not just taught us something tonight, God, but that you, you changed our minds, you changed our hearts toward you in some way, shape, or form, for your glory and your namesake. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, amen, friends. Do love you, and uh, looking forward to seeing you one way or the other next or, or this Sunday.